The Bonfires of Social Enterprise with Detroit-based Rami Gingrass of Gingrass Global. Thanks for tuning in to the Bonfires of Social Enterprise. We have a great time interviewing the social entrepreneurs who are making huge change on the ground. On this episode of Bonfires, we're changing it up a little. We're going to sit down with Impact Investor who invests in the social enterprises. Impact Investor Jeff Patrick of the Impact T3 Management Company and the Impact C3 Group 1 Fund is one of the original founders of two investment companies and has a great story. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Rami. It's really good to be here. You and I have been on a great journey in the last couple of years trying to figure this out and uh, really excited to to be on your program. Jeff, you're what we define as an impact investor. How would you define an impact investor from your perspective now? Well, obviously that term I think is evolving. Uh, When we first got underway on this project, we were thinking about being a, a social investor. I think that's always confused people. What, you know, social, it has a tone of socialism. Uh, Obviously, what you and I know is that it's really investing for the social good. And I think that's really what, what impact investing, that terminology, really makes a lot more sense. I know from working with you and all the different conversations we've had together about the design of the fund and some of the transactions that sometimes an impact investor or somebody who's trying to do good means maybe having to wait a little bit in the beginning to get your return back or maybe taking a reduced return to make room for the business to accomplish their social good? Yeah, I think that's really, uh, once we got underway with this conversation, I think that's what we came to understand pretty quickly is that if you survey the landscape of investment opportunities really across the world, it's clear, though, that there are some areas that are just never going to really get investment, or at least not in the near term. And I think it was easy for us to look in our own backyard in Detroit in the midst of a bankruptcy, in the midst of all the devastation that's gone on, And we looked and we said, yes, sure, there'll be investors that will come in and invest in real estate. But what Detroit really needs is some new businesses and businesses that have a mission. It was easy for us to kind of understand that those investments would, like you said, either require more patience and to be an equity investor or would just require the equity investor to take a lower than normal rate of return in order to be successful. And back in 2013, I met with you and your partner, Don Lee, at a tiny little restaurant in Birmingham, Michigan called The Whistle Stop. And you both began to share your vision with me about what you wanted to do. Would you mind telling the story about how your vision for this fund came to be? Yeah, Don and I have been friends for a long time and somewhat business associates or acquaintances, but we uh, we never really connected on anything until uh, we started to, to meet at the Whistle Stop and started talking about doing something different. And, and I think we both had a real heart for Detroit, and we wanted to see kind of a turnaround for the city. And as we began uh, talking about it and praying about it, Don and I are both very strong in our faith, our Christian faith. We just began to get a vision for what something like this would look like, a fund that would invest in inner-city Detroit businesses and even inner-city Pontiac businesses uh, that's just outside of Detroit. 
that really would make a difference and and not only provide employment but also with a with a mission to make their respective area a better place. I think it's interesting for me because I have always been hugely motivated by one of the real powerful teachings of Jesus that that's found in the book of Matthew chapter 25. And it's where he's kind of telling the story to a bunch of his followers. And he's basically thanking them for, you know, providing him food when he was hungry and clothes when he was naked and and, uh, visiting him while he was in prison. And of course, the followers were all kind of dumbfounded and said, well, what are you talking about? When did we ever do those things? And he looked at them and he said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And that just really, really impacted me to say, look, okay, uh, let me look around. And first off, let me identify who the least of these are. And, and secondly, let me identify what their needs are and what we can do. And I, I think that also dovetails into a verse from the book of James in chapter 2 that really just talks about how faith without action is dead. And I, I'm just an action-oriented guy, and I love what it says in the book of James. It says, well, you, you can encounter people that are that are hungry and not clothed, and, and you could just kind of wish them well on their way and hey, say, hey, good luck, and, you know, hey, I'll pray for you, but what good is that? It's not good unless you're actually doing something about their needs. To me, this was all the genesis of this idea that we're actually going to do something. We're not just going to get together and pray about it, get a bunch of guys to, you know, highlight what the problem is, we're going to do something about it. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of conversations that I hear uh, from folks that are moved into this industry of impact investing from a faith perspective. I hear often that, hey, gosh, we want to teach the man how to fish instead of give them the fish. But sometimes you need to actually give them the fishing pole first so that they can fish. And that's kind of what this impact investing is about. So once the idea became clear and the details were worked out on vision, how did you set out to tell the story about what you wanted to do to raise to raise the money. So I think that was the challenge because we knew that we were we were going after a I would say a, a point on the investment horizon that was going to be unique to a lot of investors. And we tried to tell the story in in a way of drawing circles and saying, you know, you have a philanthropy bucket and you have an investment bucket. But you know, if those two circles sort of intersect where philanthropy meets investing is really kind of where we wanted to come at the investors and say, look, we're free market capitalists. We believe that the capitalist system works in the very, very long run. It certainly can have inefficiencies in the short run. So we don't want to get away from the idea that we're going to invest in businesses that are sustainable and can generate real cash flow. But we also want to invest in businesses that have a very serious mission to them, where they are going to impact their community in some powerful way and obviously use their cash flow to do that. And if they're going to do that, that also means that the investor cannot expect to get a huge return, a 15 or 20 percent return. But gee, can't you accept a 7 or 8 percent rate of return? And if the business can do it, if it can generate more than that, uh, your expectation is that they'll reinvest in their mission and in their community. And in our case, um, and we'll obviously talk about it, but the company that we looked at was really going to go into an area that was very economically challenged and, and really be a big, you know, bring hope to that community. 
So since you were trying to raise money in this intersection of the philanthropy circle and the and the investing circle, how did the audience you get in front of respond to that? What kind of questions did they ask about that? Yeah, that's a great question. I It's funny because uh, I got two reactions. Uh, one was the blank stare, like I have no idea what you're talking about. And the other one was, wow, this is really cool. This is something new. This is a way for us to give back to the community, but hold those people accountable to their business plan and to what they're trying to do. And so it was really great. We went out, we did, I don't know, I want to say we did probably 10 different fundraising events. Most of them were wine tastings because we all like wine. And we told the story and we said, look, would you be willing to part with some portion of your money? And it's really more a portion of your investment money but would you be willing to part with that and accept a lower rate of return? But guess what? You're going to have a great impact. And oh, by the way, we're going to measure that impact too, not just the investment return, but the social return that we're also shooting for. Definitely. I was with you in a lot of those presentations and there were some looks of like, wow, if this works, this recycling of this capital in this way works and we make a difference. There were some real hopeful looks in the room. Now, you were not just asking each person for 12000 but you were also asking them to serve. Why is that? Well, we decided early on that we were going to call our fund group Impact T3, and T3 stood for Time, Talents, and Treasure. And for us and for so many people, I think it's really easy to write a check and then just sort of forget about it. But that's oftentimes not the only thing that uh, that entrepreneurs need. And in many cases, it's really not, you know, it's, it's only part of the equation. And so what we were also saying to them is, you know, this group was all successful business people. They all have uh, great networks and they have great problem solving skills. And we said, can you come alongside these entrepreneurs and help really mentor them in their success? And so we also came up with kind of a uh, another uh, acronym or a you know alliteration of C three that we basically said look what we're trying to do is we're trying to capitalize these entrepreneurs and we're also trying to coach and connect them to success and that really resonated with the investors that uh, when there were opportunities people are more than willing to help out and uh, and to do what's right and to, and to see uh, success come for these businesses. It seemed to me as I witnessed some of those conversations, it seemed to me that uh, that almost was a draw to the fund, that there was a way to get involved on the frontline experience. Now, I know our firm, Gingrass Global Groups, is the third-party administrator on your investment companies. Do you feel that it differentiated you from perhaps an investment club or something like that during the capital raise? Yeah, well, that's um, there's no question about it. And you you know, Rami, that uh, when we were out doing our fundraising, uh, we told all the investors that you were really the backbone of the whole story. And I know you're um, you know you you are uh, shy and don't like to take credit for that, but the reality is. There was no way we were going to be able to pull this off without your help and without not only you providing administration to the fund, but also the research uh, and the assessments that you conduct on these entrepreneurs. That really was our 
way of, um, you know, getting kind of the first level of due diligence that we needed to to understand what opportunities were out there. So it was a very big part of it. I think the other interesting thing about it, as you know, is one of the sales pitches that we made to our investor group is that uh, that Impact T3 as a management company was really purely a volunteer management company. We were not going to charge an investment management fee. We were not going to charge a carry like a private equity fund would or you know, a portion of our upside. We were effectively saying, look, we're going to do this in the lowest cost possible way. And that also meant that we really weren't going to have any employees at the Impact T3 level. And so obviously we needed to outsource for the fund administration and the tax preparation and the capital calls and all the things that you do for us. Um, It was really important and it was really key to our success. Well, thanks for that. (laughs) Uh, It sounds like I was fishing for a compliment there, which I truly was. (laughs) No, really, I I think something you and I say is no matter where you go, if you're trying to get something, it's always a good idea to have somebody that's paid in the mix, right? It's true. All right. So let's talk about the first investment the company made in Detroit. Why did you choose this particular social enterprise? I think our first investment was was probably uh, unique in in why we chose it uh, because the gentleman that uh, that we chose to go into business with first was somebody that came to us before we even had a fund, and uh, he's a gentleman that by the name of Jeff Adams, and Jeff had a uh, a long career as a, a software sales guy, but then his his heart really broke open for the city of Detroit and particularly the Brightmore district of the city of Detroit. And amazingly, Jeff moved he and his wife into the neighborhood, and he became a fundraiser for a uh, a local nonprofit there. When the nonprofit really couldn't survive after the 2008-9 downturn, Jeff got a vision to invest in a business in the Brightmore area, and ultimately he ended up settling on on the hydroponics business because he had made some connections in that industry. And for those of you that don't know what hydroponics is, it's it's basically vertical indoor farming. And the industry really is taking off. And what's really neat about it is Jeff is one of the first guys, well, he is the first in Detroit to do a vertical farm. He's not the first in the country, but uh, but he is certainly at the forefront here in Detroit and we're super excited about the business potential. And so now what did the structure of that deal look like? Loan, equity? We, um, we wanted to be equity-like because, as I said earlier, we wanted to uh, give Jeff the breathing room to get his business up to cash flow stability before he had to pay any return to us. Um, initially, we had thought that we may just take equity in the business, but that would have required a whole nother set of paperwork and a huge legal investment that we just weren't willing to do. And so effectively, we, we structured it as a convertible debt. And effectively, it is a what I call payable in kind or what's in the industry known as payable in kind or a pick, meaning that uh, the first two years, there's no interest payment on that loan or on that debt. And then starting year three, He pays us about a 5% rate of return. Uh, Actually, I think it's 6% rate of return. In the out years, it does convert to equity with a little bit of an equity kicker. But it basically gives him 
equity like money at maybe a six to eight percent rate of return, which obviously is uh, is low by equity standards, but uh, it's really not bad when you think about what's been going on in the world in the last ten years and the kind of returns that you know people have gotten from the equity markets in in the last fifteen. So so we were uh, we were happy with that. And the other thing that I think that that allowed is it allowed other investors to come in and put some money in above us in the capital structure. So we were very fortunate to have uh, some local uh, nonprofits come in, the, the Fisher Foundation, the, the Skillman Foundation. And we also attracted a private investor to take a debt piece that, that would allow us to get you know to where we needed to be. Yeah, it really was an extraordinary almost syndication of, of a deal, everyone coming together and sharing. You touched on something that I talk about this a lot, and I'm going to continue to talk about this a lot just because this is a practical field note. I often see folks looking to invest in some of the social enterprises, and everybody at first comes to the table looking at the initial business plan, but during the negotiation of the deal, it's really important for the listening audience to know that cash flow scenarios need to be rerun and rerun so that there's a practical need met from the entrepreneur's side. There's just always something that's going to happen that might delay it. And so you've really got to plan for that and be on the same side of the table so that there's a win-win on both sides. So now you tend, as a fund manager, to only invest in for-profit entities. What's your philosophy behind this? I've been in the investment business my entire life, and I'm a huge believer in uh, how free markets, you know, drive capital and drive business decisions uh, and drive efficiency and productivity and all those things. And I've also had a lot of experience giving money away to, you know, various uh, philanthropies and and great causes. And for the most part, that experience has been wonderful. Uh, I know the impact that my dollars are having when I invest that way. But, you know, I also have had, like everybody else, I'm sure, an experience where um, you just knew that the dollars weren't being spent the way you thought they were uh, and where the nonprofit did not survive because maybe they really didn't, you know, have a great business plan and didn't know how to, you know, really keep it going. And so, uh, I think from from my perspective, that's why I love the sort of the intersection of philanthropy and investing is because we're going to hold these businesses to the standards that businesses would. We're just not going to ask for that kind of level of return from them. And that'll just give them freedom to operate their businesses in the way that they feel like they've you know been called to operate in with that vision and mission-mindedness. So, In other words, you're asking for Olympic excellence, but not as high of a return back. That's I love it. All right, let's shift gears for a minute here and talk about some of the talent you've got on the board and the investment committee you and Don put together. Would you mind if we started with you? I know some of your background, but maybe share it for our listeners. Sure. I um, like to start out my story saying that I was a well-trained free market capitalist, uh, <laughs> I ended up getting my MBA from University of Michigan, and, and it was all about business and profit and success and growth and all those things when I, uh, when I got my MBA. And I certainly was motivated by those things and found myself in the investment industry back in the 90s. I worked as a portfolio manager for, the, for Loomis Sales & Company, which was a Boston-based investment management firm. I managed a small cap fund 
for Luma Sales. It was one of the best performing funds in the mid 90s, and we had a really terrific track record. I took that track record and started North Point Capital in 2000. I'm a partner today in North Point Capital. We manage about a billion dollars in small cap assets. And it's a fun business. But along the way, I would say, um, you know, I'm still very much of a uh, free market capitalist. But the reality is I I grew a heart along the way and realized that not everything, you know, could be solved with capitalism. And in fact, you know, if you think about how investment dollars are going to flow, clearly they're going to flow towards the absolute best rates of return. And I think you're seeing that like when you look across the world and you see these emerging you know, countries where poverty is being eradicated because they're embracing free markets, embracing business, embracing capitalism. And so that's a great you know, view of how that's working in a very, very broad sense. But we also know there's always these inefficiencies. And some of the most troubled areas that probably need the investment the most will be the last ones to get the investment dollars because it's just there's just too much risk and it's really hard to to convince investors that they can make a decent return. So I think that's again being here in Detroit and looking right in our backyard. Look, downtown Detroit right now is thriving and there's so many there's so many good things happening downtown Detroit. But when you go out to places like Brightmore and some of the other really challenged areas those are going to be the last places that are going to see a recovery and see investment. And so we're so thrilled that we can be in that part of the world right now and having an impact. How about some of your board and an investment committee? How'd you recruit them? Where'd they come from? So uh, I have a a pretty broad network because I've been born and raised here in uh, metropolitan Detroit and have a lot of friends and uh, fortunately have a lot of friends who also have a heart. (laughs) And so I just went out to the guys that I knew that uh, were also motivated by action and, and to try and uh, do their part to, uh, to impact the world. And so we just went out and, and asked people if they'd be willing to be on this board as a volunteer. You know, I got people from all walks of life. I've got lawyers and real estate guys. I've got a private equity CEO. I've got a guy that's a private uh, ran a private equity fund in Washington D.C. Uh, we have another investment professional in the in the business that I'm in, uh, and of course Don Don Lee I think is one of the most interesting characters. Don is what I would say in in his career he's always been a hired gun that small businesses or uh, businesses that might have been backed by private equity would hire Don to either be their COO or their CEO because he has such a an expertise on on driving really efficient processes. And uh, it's interesting, Don is now um, the chief marketing officer at Clark Hill, which is a big law firm here in Detroit. And he is the guy that is helping drive new business for lawyers, teaching them the processes for how they go out and can get new business. So Don is just an unbelievable resource, and we make a great partnership on this uh, Impact T3 venture. We'll have to come back and get him on the record, too. Let's look to the hopeful future. What are the grand plans? Will you dream big for us? 
it's in my nature to dream big. I'm a I'm very optimistic person. And so actually, even when we started this fund, I had bigger plans that I was going to raise a lot more money. I don't think, uh, uh, I think I underestimated how hard it is to get people to part with their dollars. But we think we told a very compelling story. But um, the reality is nothing tells a better story than a track record of success. So right now, we're obviously focused on making sure that this first fund uh, is successful. But certainly, my dreams would be that we would have another fund or another two or three or four or five down the road that we can just, you know, grow the pie and uh, and be able to really have a great impact. We know that we're we're having a great impact in one little area. And I'm often reminded by uh, a great quote by Mother Teresa when Someone asked her, you know, doesn't it just feel like all you're doing is just putting in one little tiny drop in a in a giant ocean of water? And her response was, well, at least it's another drop. And so I feel like right now we're uh, we're a little drop. Maybe down the road we might be a bucket full. More than a little drop. I just want to say I know that you're leading the way, even in in the form of case studies for other groups that are trying to get their arms around it. So it's more than a little drop. Well, let's close up by letting everyone know how to reach you and your team. Yeah, we have a website. It's always a work in progress, and we haven't really spent a whole lot of time on the website. But if if you go to www.impactt3.com, you will find us there, and uh, there's an opportunity to contact us. And those emails go in the website and get shout out to Don and I, and we'll be able to respond. would love to have conversations with people that are interested in either our fund or doing something, you know, in their own world. Excellent. I'll just make a commentary here before we close. I just want to encourage anyone who's thinking about starting to fund that these guys are willing to help get another fund launched on their platform. They're willing to share some of the expenses that they've already paid for. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us as a guest on the Bonfires of Social Enterprise. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, email this link, bonfiresofsocialenterprise.com, to a friend and help spread the word. Music by Dan Castle and Thomas Rojo. Portions of this podcast have been provided by Rami Jingress. Copywritten 2015 Jingress Global LLC and are disseminated by Flatlands Avenue Productions by exclusive arrangement with Jingress Global LLC. 